Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I am your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom! Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler! How are you? I'm doing very well. Are you ready to begin another grand experiment? Yes, I'm very, very ready. All right, let's give it a whirl. Okay, and I just want to say thank you to all of our listeners. They're growing by leaps and bounds. It's very exciting to know that we have listeners all over the world, even in Russia and all over the United States. It's great, right, Chandler? Yeah, it is uh, phenomenal to see how uh, uh, the podcast is being uh, received by uh, all of you guys. And uh, we just want to thank you for listening. And uh, we hope that we've uh, teed up another grand uh, show for you uh, today. And uh, for those of you who are uh, joining us for the first time, uh, the way that the podcast works is that uh, in a moment, I will give my mom the uh, astrological birth data of a random historical figure. Uh, Now, you, the listeners at home, already know who this historical figure is. It's in the title of today's episode. I, of course, know who it is because I selected this historical figure. But Mom has no idea who this person could be. I will give her the data necessary to create an astrological birth chart. That is the birth date, time, and location. She will input that into the bat computer, and out will come the astrological birth chart, where all the stars and planets were at the moment that person was born. She will then do her best to give us a blind reading of the chart, uh, helping us to see what the different personality traits, fortunes, uh, characteristics are of this certain person. Uh, I will ask a few discussion questions and then reveal to her who our mystery history guest is. I'll then give a brief summary about the person's life, and we'll then discuss about how accurate the chart was in depicting who that person would be. So, without further ado, let's begin. All right. Uh, This is a male. Yes. uh, Born the 7th Uh of June. 
And uh, again, with this, I was able to find a uh, birth time, but uh, I will let everyone know that uh, scholars are a bit uh, skeptical of the uh, birth time, uh, even the birth date on this one. So we're just going to uh, see what happens. Uh, this is uh, going to be 8.35 a.m. All right. And what country? Libya. All right, and where? Uh, Sirt, S-I-R-T-E. All right, here we go. So again, uh, for those listening, June 7th, 1942, 8.35 a.m., Sirt, Libya. All right. Hmm. Very interesting. Very interesting. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay. Hmm. All right. Uh, this person, again, as with all of your candidates, has a very dynamic chart also has a concentration of planets in a house and has a, almost all of their planets in the top left quadrant, although they do have planets in the first, second, and third house. And uh, this person is another person who has Leo rising. So we know off the bat that this person is seen as a very dynamic person. They are not a person that would be um, understated. Uh, so we'll start there. I'm going to go mm -hmm. ahead and go to uh, this first concentration of planets, which is in the 11th house. And this person has sun in Gemini at 15 degrees, Mercury in Gemini at 24 degrees, Jupiter in Gemini at 29 degrees, and we have that 29 degree, which is that degree of sorrow, then Saturn in Gemini at three degrees, and then we have Uranus uh, conjunct Venus. Well, Uranus is in Gemini, but it's in the 10th house, and then Venus is also in the 10th house which is in Taurus, and they have Taurus on the Midhaven. So right off the bat, we have a very dynamic personality, a person who is seen as a leader, a person who um, has a concentration of planets in Gemini, which is the uh, planet, well, Gemini is the sign of communications, and all, all types of communications, uh, but by air, you know, airwaves, um, mm -hmm. uh, it's just, you know, this person has the ability to talk. I would say this person could talk people into anything. Mm -hmm. When you have this many planets in Gemini in the 11th house, you are able 
to command groups of people with your words. All right. So uh, at least that's what it should be. And uh, it, this can go either way. This person has Mars and Pluto in the 12th house. Mars is the planet of war. 12th mm -hmm. house is the, the house of karma. So we have Mars in Cancer and Pluto in Leo in the 12th house. This person was destined to be a leader. If they are not a leader, something has gone terribly wrong mm -hmm. because they had to be a leader. Uh, they have something they're working out. I don't know. But they also have Chiron. I know I'm jumping around a lot, but I'll come back to it because this is just a very interesting dynamic chart. Um, mm -hmm. They have Chiron and Leo in the first house. So Chiron is the wounded healer, right? So having Chiron in the first house has to do with how people perceive you, your persona is the first house, right? And right. also first house is ruled by Aries, which is, you know, the God of war also. So, and, 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 and direction and this kind of thing, having Chiron there would have given this person a little bit less, uh, uh, um, confidence perhaps in their appearance, or it mm. could have, uh, given them flaws in their appearance that they needed to repair or get past. Somehow it has to do with you're born with this. You have this in your early life. Your job is to overcome it and then help heal with this. So there's something to do with first house and appearance and how people perceive you in that with that Chiron being there. So now I'll get to North Node, which this person has North Node and Virgo in the second house, which has to do with uh, finances and wealth and, uh, man, if I was, I, I would just think that this person is like what they conquer, uh, because this person has the ability to definitely, uh, lead lots of people. And so Chiron in Virgo, their direction has to do with uh, Virgonian things, which is also ruled by Mercury, but more, um, you know, more earthy, so more tangible, less, you know, metaphysical and more actual. Uh, and then the second house is, you know, your belongings and what you love and what you like. This person uh, I want to say because of that Virgo in that particular way, Virgo is normally about, you know, organization and things like that. But in this situation, I would think they would want control. Um, they have Neptune in the third house in Libra, which is very interesting because nope, that is mistaken. It, it's in the third house is ruled by Libra, but this Neptune is also in Virgo. It is a uh, late degree Virgo. So at 27 degrees Virgo in the third house, which would make them either 
have some difficulty in the way they communicate or be very creative in the way they communicate. Mm -hmm. uh, for some people, this Neptune in the third house of communications, depending on what it's in, but this is in Virgo, so it make it could make them... <sighs> maybe maybe use their power for nefarious things their communication that's the dark side dark side would be to use that for nefarious things because virgos are very smart right virgos mm -hmm. i don't know i i mean all all the air signs are very quick and very smart they're very cerebral right uh Geminis and, and, and Virgos are very quick, quick minded, but where Geminis can be like more witty and creative, uh, Virgos are more, uh, quick logic, mathematician, mathematicians, um, Geminis can also be that too, but, uh, it's just a difference between, I see Geminis as more whimsical and Virgos as more earthy and more, uh, organized. So there's that. Um, this person has a ninth house. Their moon is in the ninth house. So that deals with emotions and their moon is in Aries in the ninth house. This person's philosophies and uh, religious beliefs and dogma and uh, uh, all of the things that tr travel all the things that have to do with ninth house, uh, this person is very connected to emotionally. Uh, also, their mother might have been uh, very overbearing, moon and Aries. Uh, the dark side of that is overbearing and warlike and, 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 and angry. Uh, the light side of that would be, you know... Um, you know, like they describe an Irish mother, <laughs> like my son can do no wrong. He's the most handsome boy in the county. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, that kind of thing. So that is a possibility there. Um, this person has Taurus on their midhaven, which makes them a person that will not give up. They would have to be killed. People who have Taurus on their midhaven are very, very steadfast in whatever it is they're working towards. Um, gives them stamina for long term. Um, they have Uranus in Gemini and Venus in Taurus here in the 10th house, which is unexpected gifts, unexpected benevolence, unexpected desires uh also could deal with women but not necessarily in the 10th house unless this person somehow uh, is involved with women but i think this is more of a venus thing of what you want what things you want right your career mm -hmm. uh so this person had unexpected benevolence in their career does any of this make sense? Yes. Oh, good. <laughs> I, uh, it's very hard to 
get really um, clear on a lot of these things. But this 11th and 12th house for this person are the telling factors overall. Because this person has, as I've said, Saturn, conjunct Sun, conjunct Mercury, conjunct Jupiter, all in the 11th house in Gemini. The one factor that had any aspect of slowing this person down regarding this massive groups of people is having that Saturn there, which would lend some control in this wild Gemini flurry of sun conjunct Mercury conjunct Jupiter. Because Jupiter is, is, you know, Jupiter is benevolence and, and overabundance and too much. Uh, I'd like too much, please. I would like it now. And that's kind of Jupiter. And then. So too, when you're talking about this, too much of what? Whatever they want. Whatever. But in this particular situation, it's dealing with masses, the masses, groups of people. It's the 11th house. So it's uh, 11th house is ruled and, and humanitarian aspects, humanity, um, you know. It's uh, all that Aquarian. Because 11th house is ruled uh, by Aquarius. So then your 12th house is Pisces. So uh, there's a lot happening. If this person did not have activities with large groups of people, I cannot see why that would happen. And maybe we do have the wrong birth time. But um, 12th house having Mars in Cancer, and Pluto in Leo. Oof. I cannot imagine that this person was not involved somehow with leadership and war. Mm-hmm. Uh, because this is what they're working with. Leadership and war. Now that Mars and Cancer isn't, it's not as dangerous as like a Mars in Aries or a Mars in Leo or as wild as a Mars in Sagittarius or as devious as a Mars in Scorpio or Capricorn. You know what I mean? Like this person could have been a really good nurturing leader. Maybe mm-hmm. uh, that's possible. But uh, uh, I, I think that this person, this person has the potential to be an extremely powerful leader, either direction they want to go. If they want to mm-hmm. go selfish and they want to have the power and, and the ability to command humanity, they have that. They also have the ability to nurture if they had wanted to, uh, this is what I see in what I'm looking at here. Do you have any questions? Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, this is all very good at at describing it, the, the, what this person did. Mm -hmm. Um, How would this person uh, want to be perceived? Well, whenever you're dealing with Leo rising, uh, they want to be loved and adored. Uh, it all 
goes through, you know, different levels of this adoration, but having this uh, Mars and Pluto, uh, Pluto in Leo in their 12th house, they want to be perceived as a leader. I am the leader. I mm-hmm. am the leader. Right? Does this make sense or not? Yes. Okay, because that's what I'm seeing, because it's very powerful. Pluto in Leo is a powerful leader. Huge power, because Leo is already powerful. They are an essence to themselves, all right, of power. But when you put Pluto, which is which means power, death and rebirth, in Leo, uh, that that's a person that is this person will not back down and all, uh, uh, this uh, tourist on the Midhaven I would not want to go up against this person mm-hmm. and be on their bad side uh, what is this person's relationship with women this person has a very interesting relationship with women because they have moon in the ninth house which is emotions, right? And they have moon in Aries. So moon in Aries is a very strong woman. Uh, An Aries woman is very strong and very fiery. Um, This person would not want, this person could, I don't think this person could even be interested in a woman that would completely submit to him. In other words, this person would need a woman who had some fire, some uh, power. And uh, in this ninth house, though, it's all about philosophy and religion and travel and all those Sagittarian things, which is also independent. Um, But I can't see this person having much respect for a woman who doesn't have some kind of power. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, if he felt that he was being bullied, what would he be capable of? He would kill them. He would just kill them. They're, you don't bully this person. This person, if they if they didn't actually kill them, <laughs> then uh, they would destroy them. Does that make sense? Like. There's one thing to kill someone, but there's something else to destroy them. Like if you destroy mm-hmm. someone, th- is worse. They would have been better off if they were dead than to have this person destroy them. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. It makes a lot of sense. Okay. This is not a person to be messed with. I don't think. I mean, if they are, then they're not living up to their potential of this very powerful chart. Mm-hmm. And uh, what is this person's self-esteem like? <laughs> uh, okay. So the caveat to this is that they have Chiron in the first house. So there's a possibility that this person might have an inkling of insecurity, but I don't think so. I think this is a very... I think this person knows exactly how powerful they are. 
And would this uh, possible inkling of insecurity be something that the other aspects would make them compensate for? If this person has this inkling of insecurity, which would be Chiron in the first house in Leo, um, it isn't something they couldn't overcome. Let's say this person has everything. This person comes from power or has worked their way up from power through stamina, whatever. But let's say this person has a, a physical impairment, like maybe they have one leg is shorter than the other and they have a slight limp or, you know, something that isn't overwhelmingly noticeable, but it eats at them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Then this person, I believe from looking at this chart would do everything they could to become more powerful, to overcompensate for whatever this small imperfection would be. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Is this a vain person? There's a difference between, in my opinion, there's a difference between vain and fact. This person, I believe, would see that they are factually powerful. So that supersedes vanity. Does that make sense? I suppose so, yeah. Okay, so on the one hand, other people could perceive them as vain, but this person doesn't see it that way because this is a fact to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, is there uh, anything else that you can uh, get from the chart that you haven't already talked about? Well, in this short amount of time and not knowing who it is, uh, I would just say that uh, this person uh, should be able, I mean, I have already said everything. They should be able to speak to large groups of people and, and sway them to any direction they wanted them to go. They have no qualms about being a leader or a warrior at all. Uh, their North Node is dealing with riches and uh, wealth and all of the things that go with material belongings. That's where their North Node lies. So somehow that was all connected in their journey. Um, I think I've gone over everything that I can see on this just, you know, kind of overall uh, look. Uh, you know, they have Scorpio in the fourth house. So they are very possessive of their home, their country, their uh, place, mm -hmm. their things. Uh, Scorpios are very possessive and uh, can be vindictive if, uh, um, and revengeful if someone were to hurt s someone they really love or something they really love. Because when Scorpios really love something, 
they can be crazy. <laughs> uh huh. They can be very crazy, and they will stop at nothing for revenge if something were to hurt something they love. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now they can, they can hurt what they love. They'll uh-huh. do it all day long, but that's okay because it's them. That's d- okay. dark side, Scorpio. <laughs> right. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare insurance plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare insurance plans at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Uh, All right. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, summarize our findings here. Okay. Uh, So this is a uh, dynamic person, uh, not an understated person, uh, seen as a leader. Talk people into uh, anything. Command people with their words. Uh, He was destined to be a leader. Uh, It's possible that he had an inkling of less confidence, but uh, that he could get past it and uh, he could get past whatever flaws he might have perceived in his appearance. Uh, Lead lots of people, uh, tangible uh, earthly goals for him, Uh, wants control, very creative in communications, Uh, uses power for nefarious things. Uh, religious beliefs are connected to, uh, he has a, an emotional connection to his religious beliefs. Uh, overbearing, uh, possibly a warlike uh, mother, uh, will not give up. Uh, he will need to be killed before giving up. Uh, unexpected benevolence in the career. Uh, leadership and war uh, dominate uh, this person. Uh, could have been a benevolent, nurturing leader. 
Uh, in any case, he was destined to be a powerful leader and could either use that for benevolence or use it in a way to command humanity. I am the leader. Uh, needs a strong, fiery, powerful woman. Uh, he would kill or uh, destroy uh, anyone who uh, got in his path or anyone who he felt wronged him. Uh, and, and, and even above killing to draw out, to, to absolutely destroy uh, and, and make them suffer, uh, knows how powerful he is. Uh, possibly use his power to overcome whatever imperfections he might think he has. Uh, possessive, vindictive, revengeful, uh, can be crazy uh, and will stop at nothing uh, to uh, hurt those who he believes has hurt him. That all sound right? Yes. All right. Would you like to know whose chart you've been reading? Yes. You are looking at the astrological birth chart of Muammar Gaddafi. <gasps> oh. Okay, well, definitely destined for all that. Born to do it. Uh, Muammar Gaddafi was uh, possibly born, and, and I think our chart bears it out pretty well, uh, June 7th, 1942, uh, outside of Sirt, Libya. Uh, he was born into a family that was part of the uh, nomadic Bedouin tribe. Uh, and this was in Italian-occupied uh, Libya. Uh, so in the early 20th century, the Italians, uh, they sort of showed up a little late to the uh, European uh, carving up of Africa, uh, but did get a, a colony going in, in Libya and also in Ethiopia, a few other places. Uh, and the Italians were known as being absolutely brutal in their uh, taking over of Libya and their administration of this colony. Uh, they did unspeakable things to the native Libyans, to the Bedouins who were there, uh, created concentration camps, a very brutal regime there in Libya. And uh, Gaddafi, born in 1942, he was born right in the middle of World War II. And uh, Libya was one of the main battlefronts uh, of, of this war. Uh, so he would have grown up with the tank battles of uh, Rommel and, and the Nazis and uh, the Allied forces chasing them through the desert happening right outside his home. Uh, he was born literally into war and conflict. Uh, not only was this his immediate understanding of the world around him, how the war and how uh, the colonization had affected his family would be told to him from generations past. Uh, his grandfather, his father, his uncle uh, all battled against the Italians uh, in their uh, brutal uh, uh, administration of the Libyan colony. Um, Gaddafi's early education was uh, somewhat limited. Uh, he uh, was sent to uh, school uh, just to read and recite the Quran. Uh, and this, uh, the, his religious upbringing was something that was very important to him uh, for uh, the rest of his life and started at a very young age. Um, and it was something... Uh, truly remarkable in that family for him to have that amount of education to be able to read and recite the Quran for himself. Uh, but he 
showed that he was so uh, gifted and talented with uh, uh, his education that his father figured out a way uh, for him to continue on in his education. And so his father moved around and took different jobs to support the family and uh, sent Gaddafi to the mosque, and he would sleep on the floor of the mosque uh, all throughout the week, uh, do things around the mosque and then uh, and and do his studies and then on the weekends he would walk twenty miles uh, to his family's home and help out with the family around the house and around uh, whatever his father needed him to do and then at the end of the weekend walk another twenty miles back to the mosques so that he could sleep on the floor and continue his studies. Wow. Uh, he continued to uh, excel in his studies and went to secondary school. And around this time in the uh, late uh, 1940s, getting into the uh, early 50s, uh, there were stories being told of this Egyptian leader. Uh, his name was Nasser. And uh, in this time after World War II, it was very much a, a transitional time for uh, the Middle East and uh, uh the powers uh, who had won the war, England and France and the United States, uh, were trying to uh, impose their will on uh, their former colonies uh, just as they had before. Uh, but they were starting to have these uprisings and leaders like Nasser who were saying that uh, the Western powers, this European colonization, uh, will not be a part of our future. And uh, we as Egyptians uh, need to rise up and take the country back for ourselves. Uh, we're not going to be ruled by English and we're not going to be ruled by the puppets of English people. And uh, so Nasser uh, succeeded in taking over Egypt and uh, was a very fierce combative uh, person against the uh, European powers. Uh, one of his most famous things uh, was the Suez Canal crisis, uh, where um, England and France wanted to uh, remain in control of the Suez Canal, which ran right through Egypt. And uh, Nasser uh, said that the people in Egypt should own their own canal, the canal that runs through their own lands. And uh, there was uh, some conflict that occurred, and the French and the English were expecting the United States to come in on the side of England and France. Um, but Eisenhower said that if they did that, it was potential that they could start World War III. And so uh, Nasser ended up winning, and he got the Suez Canal to be in Egyptian hands. This was absolutely remarkable to a young Muammar Gaddafi growing up in Libya. Uh, Libya was uh, its own country at this point. It was the Kingdom of Libya, um, uh, ruled by uh, uh, King Idris. Uh, but uh, it was very much a puppet regime of the English. And uh, so Gaddafi absolutely uh, uh, was fascinated by Nasser. He would listen to Nasser's speeches on the radio. And then the next day, Gaddafi would go to school and he would take a stool with him so that he could get in the middle of the uh, school, step on top of the stool and recite Nasser's speech word for word wow. to all of the students there. Um you can see this sort of and building a crowd and building influence yes, among absolutely. his peers uh, as a very young age. This is starting to happen. Uh, so uh, Libya had been uh, it was ruled by uh, King Idris and uh, for a while it. it Nothing had changed. I mean, the, 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 the brutal regime of the Italians was gone, but uh, it was still a very poor country. But around the early 50s, 
they discovered oil in Libya. And Libya became a very rich country. Well, at least there was a lot of money being made in Libya, but it wasn't getting down to the average people. Uh, King Idris was keeping all of that money for himself and uh, and all of the people in the uh, royal family. Uh, so there was a lot of anger that the people who were uh, you know, living their lives in Libya, the average people, were not benefiting from this huge economic upturn uh, that happened with the uh, sale of oil. Uh, this uh, created a lot of resentment, and uh, Gaddafi, as a teenager, developed this plan that would take eight years to come into complete fruition, uh, where he would infiltrate with his friends into the Libyan army and then uh, commit a coup to overthrow the Libyan government. Uh, so he uh, enlisted in the uh, Libyan army. He was trained how to work uh, all of the uh, tanks and all of the uh, different uh, weapons that they had. And uh, he was eventually sent to England to have further training. And uh, the English officers noted that uh, Gaddafi uh, was... He lacked discipline. Uh, he uh, lacked competence in basic drills and in basic understanding of uh, how the army worked and how you uh, effectively fired weapons and everything. Uh, and he was most likely mentally unstable. Um, but he was very charismatic and could get everyone to rally around him. Uh, Gaddafi, on his experience in England, uh, felt uh, uh, that the British officers and the British people uh, uh, were racially discriminating against him. Uh, and he saw that in England, uh, none of the people who were doing the menial tasks, uh, none of the uh, custodians, none of the uh, uh, food workers, uh, at least in his eyes, were of white Anglo-Saxon descent, that they were all uh, different people from all around the world. They were all Indians and Africans and all these other uh, sorts of people. And uh, he would actually walk through the streets of London in uh, full Bedouin robes, uh, which was uh, quite a sight to see in, in 1960s uh, London. Uh, he was sent back to Libya and uh, uh, continued uh, being a, a career officer in the military and then uh, organized an, an, uh, the coup of 1969 uh, when everyone in Libya went to sleep on the end of August of 1969. They were in the uh, kingdom of Libya, and when they awoke on September 1st, uh, they were no longer in the kingdom of Libya. They were in the Libyan Arab Republic. Uh, it was a completely bloodless coup. Uh, the king uh, was already spending the summer over in Turkey, uh, so there was no king to depose. Uh, Gaddafi had organized all of his men uh, to uh, infiltrate in the military, and they were already stationed in all of the major uh, military posts, at the radio stations, uh, at all of the uh, major places in Tripoli and Benghazi. And so on September 1st, in the middle of the night, uh, just started knocking on doors and you pointing at gunpoint whoever was a, a loyalist to the king and uh, did not kill a single person. And then when uh, Libyans woke up on September 1st at uh, 6 o'clock in the morning, uh, there was a, a man on the radio that they had never heard before saying that there had been a coup, there is a revolution, my name is Muammar Gaddafi, I am now in charge of the country. I am the leader. Mm -hmm. I Essentially. am the leader. <laughs> 
the uh, country, while it said that it was a republic, uh, he would actually uh, it would be a completely military uh, controlled uh, a country. Uh, there would be the uh, the free thinking officers uh, who would be in charge of of the revolution, and he would be at the head uh, of that organization. And you know, you would think that the rest of the world would uh, have something to say about this, but Libya was such an insignificant country in their minds that even uh, the Nixon administration and Henry Kissinger really paid it no mind. Uh, no one had gotten killed. There was no brutal overthrow. There, Libya just had a new ruler now, and that was the way it was going to be. Qaddafi, <laughs> uh, uh, like Nasser, uh, believed in a form of socialism, uh, but Qaddafi wanted to make sure that he was uh, a socialist and not a communist. Uh, he was not a full proponent of Karl Marx because that would mean being an atheist. And uh, in Gaddafi's mind, that was uh, a horrible sin. The, the Muslim religion was very important to him and to his people. Uh, so he was going to have some socialist ideas in uh, taking funds from uh, companies and distributing them, uh, wealth redistribution and things like that, but uh, never going towards full communism. And uh, his entire uh, career throughout the Cold War was seeing himself as playing the Soviets off of the United States and the Western powers and being right in the middle and trying to navigate uh, those waters. Uh, one of the first things he did was to uh, nationalize the oil industry. Uh, so all of the funds, all the profits that were coming out of uh, the oil being sold uh, to uh, these companies that would no longer happen. Those profits would no longer go to royal families or to corrupt uh, military officers, but uh, would be nationalized and used for the public good. Uh, he used the money to uh, for education, building schools. Uh, children who never had the opportunity to learn uh, were now... Uh, being offered to go to school, uh, literacy rates went uh, through the roof, um, health care, uh, economic developments, infrastructure, building homes for people, uh, building a, a social welfare net. He was uh, really making Libya one of the uh, most progressive countries in the Arabic world. Um, and in the early 1970s, Qaddafi felt that the oil companies were not giving uh, Libya uh, the fair price uh, for the oil that was being sold. And uh, so he threatened to embargo that oil. And the companies uh, thought, well, this is ridiculous. You know, they need this money. And Qaddafi said, my people have been surviving on dates uh, and camel milk for generations. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't need this money. And he made the companies blink. And when he did that, the rest of the OPEC countries realized the amount of power they had on the rest of Europe and the United States. And that is when they decided to use that power uh, to force uh, these Western nations uh, uh, to punish them for things that they were doing. Uh, this is what resulted in the uh, oil embargoes and the uh, uh, gas crisis in the United States in the 1970s. If you waited in a gas line in the 1970s, it is very likely because of what Muammar Gaddafi did. Mm -hmm. uh, so that sort of impact uh, that he had was just a few years into his reign. 
from a political standpoint, uh, he came up with this whole new theory, uh, or in his mind was the new theory for governing the country, and that, uh, uh, again, that this was not completely westernization, not capitalism at all, and not uh, Soviet communism, but his own sort of philosophy. And uh, so he started writing The Green Book. Uh, the Green Book was a book that came out in three different volumes in the mid-1970s, and uh, most political scholars uh, consider this book to be uh, one of the most uh, nonsensical, most impractical uh, political theories ever put onto paper. Uh, he uh, said that no one could rent. No one could rent. Everyone had to own their own property and had to own uh, their own house. Uh, he said that uh, everyone in Libya had to own their own car and so started giving cars to people. Uh, he also believed that everyone in Libya needed to own their own chicken. <laughs> so he gave everyone a chicken and a cage to keep that chicken. It did not matter if they lived on a farm, if they lived as a traveling Bedouin, if they lived in a studio apartment. Everyone got a chicken. Uh, you know, Huey Long promised a chicken in every pot. Uh, Muammar Gaddafi delivered on that and gave everyone a chicken in their own cage. Uh, one of the most surprising things of uh, Gaddafi's reign in the early 70s uh, was uh, the progressive gender roles that he believed in. Um, the, he started giving equal opportunities and equal rights to women, uh, equal pay for equal work. Uh, he banned underage marriage. If you were under 16 years old, you could not get married. A woman had to give her consent in order to be married. Uh, education, occupation reforms, women could uh, work outside the house. Uh, they no longer had to uh, cover up uh, 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 with the traditional uh, Muslim uh, coverings. Uh, women could enter the military. Uh, in fact, uh, Muammar Gaddafi uh, had his own uh, private security force, which was entirely composed of women. Oh. Uh, he called it his uh, Amazon guards. Mm. Um, he rewarded uh, women who were loyal to him. Uh, there is one uh, a horrific story of a uh, a trial that uh, a mock trial really that Gaddafi put on during a basketball game at the National Basketball Arena. It was televised uh, across the country and uh, sentenced this man to death. They put a, a gallows and hung him right in front of everyone. They did not do it properly, and he was choking. And one of the women got out of the stands and dispatched the man him herself. Uh, Gaddafi rewarded that woman's loyalty uh, with uh, uh, funds and uh, a fortune and uh, government power for the rest of her life. Um, in the uh, early 2000s, uh, people were uh, debating on who would be the successor to Muammar Gaddafi. Had he actually decided to give up power, uh, it was very likely that uh, many Libyan experts said that he would give that power to his daughter, and she would be one of the most powerful women in the Middle East. Now, the reason that this is all so surprising has to go with the things that we also know about Gaddafi, and that he... Uh, is also responsible for the assault of hundreds and thousands of, of women. Many of those Amazon guards were most likely assaulted by him. Uh, men, women, children, uh, a, a very brutal uh, leader who, who demanded uh, oppression and, and obedience in all forms. Uh, 
And during the uh, early 70s, uh, he also started to become known as one of the uh, most uh, uh, prolific funders of terrorism around the world. Uh, the uh, Munich Olympics in 1972, the uh, hostage crisis where uh, Black September and the uh, uh, Palestinians and Black September uh, took uh, 11 Israeli athletes hostage, uh, which would lead to uh, the killing of all of those uh, athletes and uh, many of the hostages, I mean, the hostage takers themselves, completely funded by Muammar Gaddafi. Uh, the dead terrorists and the two remaining alive terrorists came back to Libya for a huge uh, welcome. It is one of the oddest uh, things you can ever see of the caskets of these dead terrorists being uh, hoisted over above the heads of the Libyan people and the celebration that they had. Uh, he funded anyone who was uh, pledging themselves against the Western powers, uh, so people like uh, the Black September, also the Irish Republican Army, and all of the bombings that they did uh, against uh, Margaret Thatcher's government and the people in England, the innocent people in England and Ireland and all over the place. Uh, they were funded and given supplies by uh, Muammar Gaddafi, uh, and Anyone who uh, uh, was pledging themselves against Western uh, powers, that meant people like Nelson Mandela as well. Uh, so Nelson Mandela and his uh, campaign against apartheid in South Africa uh, was funded and supported by Muammar Gaddafi. Um, they considered themselves to be of the greatest allies. You can see pictures of Nelson Mandela and Muammar Gaddafi arm in arm, uh, Mandela actually had one of his grandchildren named after Gaddafi. Uh, in 1979, uh, Gaddafi very much knew his role in international politics and uh, actually had uh, the brother of the United States, uh, of the president of the United States, uh, serve as an economic consultant. Uh, so the president was Jimmy Carter, and so he had Billy Carter as one of the uh, consultants uh, for uh, uh, economic uh, uh, progress. So there's, there was film of Billy Carter at the 10-year uh, anniversary of the coup. Uh, so the coup happened in 69, this is 1979, and Billy Carter is there with some of the biggest uh, funders of terrorism around the world. Uh, this, along with the Iranian hostage crisis, did not prove uh, very politically astute for Billy's brother, Jimmy. Uh, so, uh, meaning that in the 1980 election, Ronald Reagan was elected president, and uh this started some more conflict uh, between the United States and uh, Libya. Uh, Gaddafi very much felt that the United States was a bully, was bullying them. Uh, uh, and uh, one of the things that Reagan did was to uh, empower the military, uh, provide more funds, and uh, really boost up military power all over the world. And uh, so this meant sending ships into the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, one of these aircraft carriers uh, went into the Mediterranean, and uh, Gaddafi said that uh, there was a separate part of the Mediterranean that was the Gulf of Sirte, and that if uh, the American ships entered the Gulf of Sirte, they would be crossing the line of death, mm -hmm. and that uh, Libyan uh, military would have no choice but to fire upon uh, U.S. ships. 
So uh, the U.S. military said that is uh, ridiculous, that there is no separate gulf, that uh, it's all part of the Mediterranean Sea. And so one of the aircraft carriers went into and crossed the line of death. Uh, Libyan forces uh, attacked uh, the uh, American aircraft carrier. Uh, there was a firefight that went on between uh, an air dog fight that happened. Uh, needless to say, the Americans had superior firepower, and uh, this very much embarrassed uh, Muammar Gaddafi. And uh, so Gaddafi, being one of the greatest funders of terrorism, um, he uh, sent a bomber into the uh, LaBelle uh, discotheque in uh, West Germany. And uh, this was the known hotspot for American soldiers uh, to uh, uh, relax and, uh, and a leisure spot for them. And uh, so when the bomb went off, uh, two American service members were killed. Uh, another uh, Turkish man was killed and over 200 other civilians mm -hmm. were killed, oh, not killed, uh, injured. Mm -hmm. um, this uh, uh, Ronald Reagan was not going to back down to this man who said he was the mad dog of the Middle East. And so Ronald Reagan ordered Operation El Dorado Canyon, uh, which I believe is one of the greatest titles of a military operation. Um, during El Dorado Canyon, U.S. Uh, Air Force, uh, uh, the uh, went in and bombed uh, Libya, bombed the major cities in uh, Benghazi and Tripoli. Uh, they uh, bombed the uh, mansion, that uh, the palace the, uh, that uh, Gaddafi was living in. And he was actually in the palace at that time. He was unhurt. Um, Gaddafi said that uh, the Americans had killed his adopted uh, five-year-old daughter, Hannah. Uh, to this day, it is very unclear whether that person ever existed uh, or uh, uh, if they did, if they were just uh, uh, it, it was all made up. Um, but Gaddafi uh, uh, campaigned on this uh, around the world to anyone who would listen. Uh, look at how bad the Americans are treating me. The, they're brutal. They're savages. They keep saying we're the uncivilized ones, but they're the ones who are killing innocent children. Look at these craters, all this stuff. He was on Nightline. He was speaking directly to American ears on the horrors of uh, the American president, Ronald Reagan. Uh, this, again, was a major embarrassment, uh, but... Qaddafi was very unclear as to uh, he thought he could get away with all these bombings and that nothing would happen to him because Libya was such an insignificant country. Well, President Reagan very much called his bluff on that. This made him uh, uh, embarrass Gaddafi, and uh, he went away with his tail between his legs and waited another two years. And then he planned another successful terrorist attack. Uh, this happened uh, to Pan Am Flight 103. Uh, this was a flight that uh, flew from uh, Frankfurt, Germany, uh, to uh, New York City. Uh, it had uh, over uh, 200 uh, civilians on board, and uh, there was a bomb that was placed on there, and it went off over the skies of Lockerbie, Scotland. Uh, all of the people on the plane were lost, and uh, 11 people on the ground uh, were killed. Uh, it took 19 countries uh, over two years to do a full investigation, but it was eventually uh, tracked down that uh, Gaddafi was uh, directly responsible uh, for that. Uh, enemies of, uh, or the perceived enemies of uh, Muammar Gaddafi, uh, dissidents, uh, 
went all around the world trying to escape him, and Gaddafi made a point of it, saying that there is no place that you can hide. Uh, and so uh, there were brutal uh, shootings and, and public displays of violence against these people all over uh, the world. And uh, in fact, he would have the bodies brought back to him, and he would keep the bodies in freezers um, underneath his palace, and he would visit them overnight. Uh, throughout the 90s, Qaddafi's uh, power started to wane. Uh, he no longer had the influence that he had uh, in the 70s and 80s and uh, started to turn away from the Arabic countries and started turning instead towards his influence over African countries. Uh, very much starting to see himself as a leader of these African countries. Uh, this was uh, very much... Uh, uh, built upon his relationship with Nelson Mandela uh, during this time. He uh, wanted to create a new country called the United States of Africa, and that would be all of the African countries uh, being uh, their own states, just like the United States, and uh, they would have to have one leader, and Gaddafi said that he should be that leader of the whole continent of Africa. Um, after the uh, terrorist attacks on September 11th, Gaddafi made another surprising move. Uh, he was one of the first Arabic uh, leaders, one of the first leaders in the world to publicly condemn those attacks, uh, to offer his condolences to the families who uh, lost their lives uh, during the attacks, and uh, pledged his support to the United States and to the uh, NATO allies uh, to offer any intelligence that he had on the terrorist cells in the Middle East. Uh, this completely changed his relationship with the United States and the United Kingdom. Uh, he was uh, Libya was granted full uh, uh, acceptance in the international community once again, uh, and he actually followed up with his actions and started giving uh, intel on all of these different terrorist cells. Uh, the relationship between Libya and uh, the Western countries improved so much that people in the United Kingdom, the intelligence agencies, actually started to look uh, for uh, Gaddafi's uh, critics and capture them and bring them to Gaddafi on a silver platter uh, where they are subjected to all sorts of tortures. Um, Gaddafi very much thought that his relationship with the United States had completely improved. Uh, upon a visit with uh, Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice, uh, Gaddafi said that uh, they would be later going on a date together. <laughs> uh, when uh, Barack Obama was elected president... Uh, Gaddafi saw this as as his brother. Uh, he went onto the uh, the the spoke to the United Nations, saying that Barack Obama was his fellow African lion. Uh, he completely believed that everything was fine between Libya and the United States, and that everyone had forgotten all of the things that he had done in the 1970s and 80s. Uh, then in 2011, uh, the Arab Spring sprung, and so uh, protests went up all across uh, the Middle East, uh, in Iran and other countries. Uh, these protests made their way to Libya. At first, Gaddafi was very confused. He thought that the people absolutely loved him. Uh, he didn't understand why uh, these protests were happening. Uh, he tried to, uh, uh, in somewhat, try and reason with this, but then uh, decided that, well, if they're not going to accept uh, my benevolence, then he's going to have to send the police and the army to crack down and to uh, kill uh, these different rebels. And the rebels uh, answered back by putting uh, whatever munitions and rifles and things that they had into their pickup trucks and started to attack uh, the uh, 
Libyan uh, bases around Tripoli and Benghazi. Uh, eventually, uh, Gaddafi uh, had to escape uh, Tripoli uh, because NATO backed the rebels. So the United States and France and England were all in support of these Arab rebels trying to oust uh, Gaddafi. Uh, Qaddafi eventually made it back to Sirte uh, and then had to run away from Sirte. And uh, Qaddafi's story ended in a sewer pipe in the deserts of Libya where rebels caught up with him, uh, punished him in all sorts of uh, horrific ways, and then eventually uh, killed him. And his body was put on display in a market in Libya. And uh, people lined up for uh, miles around, hundreds and thousands of people coming to see that the mad dog of the Middle East uh, was, in fact, uh, dead. Uh, and uh, that is the, uh, that is the, the, the tale of uh, Muammar Gaddafi. Uh, I think that uh, the chart uh, bears out a lot of what uh, this man did. Uh, he was very much a leader, and uh, he was very much destined for that, and uh, leadership and warfare um, what consumed his entire life. Uh, I think that it bears it out all very well. Well, I have to agree with you, Chandler, and that is quite a story. I, uh, you know, a lot of these things that you bring into light are nothing that we ever learned in school, not in this, the, you know, this deeply. We have heard the names, we have reputations associated with these names, but we don't necessarily know uh, in-depth stories of these people. So I find this very, very interesting. I will say that um, hearing the story and looking at the chart and understanding all these different aspects, for instance, the moon in the ninth house and Aries with the warrior women, that makes perfect sense. And then the undeniable, I am the leader. I am the leader, period. There is no question involved here. Uh, and the way that he took power, it's all very clear in his chart. And also, I remember you saying that the British said that he was possibly insane. Which, mm -hmm. you know, clearly all the different activities that went on in his lifetime show that there is a level of insanity there, which also can be an affliction to the first house, meaning first house is ruled by Aries. Aries rules the head. Right. And mm -hmm. having Chiron there could make you crazy. And also it's possible to have Neptune in the third house could also make you crazy. And that uh, Saturn conjunct all of the other things in Gemini in the 11th house is absolute control of the people, right? Um, so there's quite a bit more to look at here in, uh, in the chart when you understand what was happening. But on that same note, there are many, many, leaders throughout history that have no boundaries in what they will do when they choose to, whether mm -hmm. it's to women or children or entire nations or whatever they do. That includes all leaders. You know, this is a, uh, this is a person who felt he had no boundaries and that he was not going to accept any boundaries and that he was in the right in doing that because his thoughts and his actions, in his opinion, were the best. But some of the things that he did were 
positive things for that. I know. Mars and Capricorn, Mars and Cancer in the 12th house. You know, nurturing things, providing people with homes, providing people with food, providing people with vehicles, you know. Providing people with chickens. With chickens. Uh, That's very nurturing and that's very Mars uh, in Cancer. So very nurturing. But um, yeah, there was no way that this man was going to live his life and not be a leader. Uh, That was a given. That's 12th house. So very, very interesting choice, Chandler. It's Hmm. very, very good. Well, uh, on our scale of uh, right on the money to way out in outer space, I think this is another one. Right on the money. (laughs) Uh, Well, this uh, concludes another episode of History and Retrograde. Uh, We'd like to thank you so much for listening. And uh, if you'd like to uh, reach out to us, uh, we're available on all of uh, the uh, socials. uh, uh, History and Retrograde uh, on Facebook, uh, Retrograde Podcast on Instagram, uh, History and Retrograde at gmail.com. Uh, please uh, drop us a line, let us know what you think, and uh, if you have any suggestions for future episodes, let us know. And uh, as always, in conclusion, as long as your uh, houses are in order and the stars are aligned, everything will be just fine. Thank you so much for listening. We love you. Bye bye. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.